Father God, we thank you for uh, yet another study, a deep dive into your word. Uh, we pray that you give us uh, patience and understanding uh, this evening. We've got uh, lots of passages to go through, and hopefully we'll uh, be able to uh, logically string them together uh, to understand better your plan for the nation of Israel, to better understand your covenant structure uh, for bringing about your promises. And uh, Lord, we pray most of all that this brings glory to you, that uh, understanding that you are a promise-keeping God and you are a God of justice, uh, that uh, those aren't mutually exclusive for you, but you hold them both in the same hand. Lord, we pray all these things in your name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're in our fifth installment of our foundations, which we started way back in January. <laughs> so this is, uh, yeah, we're, we're moving fast. Uh, and we are in the sixth covenant, which is a sub covenant to the Jewish nation under the umbrella of the Abrahamic and Mosaic covenants. Um, and this one is specifically a reiteration of the uh, land promises to Israel. And in order to uh, properly understand how these sub-covenants are functioning, and especially after receiving the Mosaic covenant, we have to understand something called, or the, uh, the distinction between ownership and enjoyment um, of a covenant where Israel is given promises, she's given unconditional ownership of, um, of certain promises from God, but to enjoy those uh, covenants, she has to be in fellowship with God. But first, a little review of what we did since uh, we only do these about every two months. And it's been a while since our last one. We started in the Edenic and Edemic covenants. We looked at the Garden of Eden. We looked at the fall. We saw how God uses understandable language to communicate his expectations to man. And that those are not salvation issues, but those are fellowship issues. And Adam's initial rupture of fellowship brought in the need for salvation. And salvation, God will bring through his covenant structures by bringing the Redeemer, who will uh, fulfill the covenants and bring about salvation, not only to the individual level, but on the national level for Israel. In the Noahic covenant, we saw once and for all that mankind is not a faithful people, uh, that mankind is desperately wicked and uh, <clears throat> incapable of obeying God by his own devices, we see that uh, mankind continues to get uh, more and more sinful when left to his own devices. So God brought out a special people. Um, he carved out a nation from all the other nations um, in order to make them his covenant people. Uh, and then he would bring about salvation for the world uh, through the promises he makes to Abraham. So what is a covenant? A covenant our God's covenants with man originate with him and generally consist of a promise based on the fulfillment of certain conditions. Each one introduces a new dispensation. Now that's a little dated and hard to understand. Here's my working definition. Mm -hmm. Biblical covenant is a contract between man and God communicated through understandable language to govern responsible fellowship behavior. And God gives eight of these in scripture. Uh, as mentioned, he gives three to the entire world, 
the Edenic, the Edemic, and the Noahic covenants were each given to govern uh, life in a new world, where the Edenic covenant was necessary to teach man how to live in creation when creation was brand new. The Edemic covenant came to teach man how to live in the world after the addition of the fall. Nature was radically changed at the point of the fall, and so man had to be given a new uh, set of expectations, how he lives with sin. And uh, necessary for that was bringing sacrifice in order to approach God. The Noahic covenant uh, tells mankind how to live in the world after the flood. Uh, then the Abrahamic covenant teaches the people of Israel, uh, first and foremost, who God is, the promises that he will bring about to them, chief of which is, uh, is the promise of the seed which is not the covenant we're looking at this morning. But uh, through that seed, that seed will be a king, and a king needs a land that he rules over. So we see a kingdom, a king, and, uh, and a people that God is creating here through the Abrahamic covenant. Then the Mosaic covenant comes to regulate the promises given freely in the Abrahamic covenant. And uh, this really demonstrates to us how God teaches man step by step, that he doesn't just give him all the lessons at once, but just like a teacher instructing layer upon layer, God teaches through his covenants layer upon layer. So when he gave Adam unconditional use of all of nature, and he was only told to have obedience in one area, he was given many promises of his position on this earth and only one condition to regulate it. Well, man failed horribly. And in order to put a guard on that, when God gave all of these promises to Abraham through the covenant, an unconditional promise of land, of a seed uh, remnant from them, and uh, of unconditional blessing, he put in the Mosaic covenant as well as a sort of filter in order so that those who are not of the Lord, those who do not approach him in faith, do not receive these rewards, although the nation as a whole will receive them. So we look at the Mosaic Covenant like a coffee filter. We've got people poured into it. We've got blessings coming out the other end, but uh, we've got the coffee grounds left in the filter. The Mosaic Covenant filters out those who despise the Lord so that only those who come to him through faith enter into the blessing. So the Abrahamic covenant really becomes the most important covenant for the narrative of all scripture. And that's why we've got Genesis 1 through 11 to lead us up to this Abrahamic covenant to show that God is a God who makes covenants with people so that when Israel receives their covenant, they know that first God is serious about the language he's using and he will bring about his promises through them despite man's incapability of being obedient uh, now that he has sin added to his nature. And the three main clauses in this Abrahamic covenant is um, that the land which God is bringing them to, he will give to them. He will make them a great nation that requires descendants and that he will bless them. And in order to receive a blessing, there must be a remnant. This covenant is reiterated multiple times, but the first time it's reiterated, uh, in Genesis 15, it is then confirmed, and he makes specific to uh, Abram 
what land he is going to give to them. He says, to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. So then uh, in this covenant uh, with Abraham, when he is confirming it, he tells Abraham ahead of time that for 400 years, he's going to send them into a land that is not their own. Um, and that when they come out of it, they will take possession of the land. In Exodus 19, they are preparing to take possession of that land. They have come out of Egypt. God has brought them out. Uh, and they are given another covenant, the Mosaic covenant, in order to regulate the blessing that they have been given unconditionally. So that they own it unconditionally, but only those who are obedient to the Mosaic law are able to enjoy what they own. In this con conditional enjoyment, we see using conditional language in Exodus 19, where we've got an if-then statement. If they do this, then they will receive this. So God says, now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be my to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So they have accepted this, these terms and conditions from the Lord, that they will obey his covenant. And the covenant that he made with them was the covenant on Mount Sinai in the land of Horeb, uh, that they would obey that covenant, the Mosaic covenant, which regulates their blessings. Now, God knew they would not be able to live up to this Mosaic covenant. And once again, I have to reiterate, a covenant is not a means of salvation. Had they perfectly kept the Mosaic law, they would not have received salvation, but they would have received their blessing. In order to keep the Mosaic law at all, you have to already be saved. So a covenant is for a saved people, not to bring unsaved people into salvation. So this conditional restoration of the nation of Israel is not talking about regeneration of a person. It is talking about regeneration of a nation, that a nation will come into uh, the land that it has been promised. So that is told to them again in Leviticus 26, uh, Leviticus 26, 27, 28, is all about uh, discipline for, the, uh, for disobedience to the Mosaic law. But 26 promises that despite their disobedience, God is faithful to them. And so through tribulation, he is going to bring them uh, to restoration. So he says, if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their forefathers and their unfaithfulness, which they committed against me and also in their acting with hostility against me, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and I will remember also my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham as well, and I will remember the land. God promises that a later generation is going to come that, uh, that recognizes the Lord. Leviticus 26, continuing, we see that this restoration to the land is unconditional. The Lord will make it happen. He says, for the land will be abandoned by them, so there will be a dispersion, but uh, that will not be a final dispersion. The land will make up for its Sabbaths. Now, the, the uh, 
the symbol or the mark for the Mosaic covenant was the Sabbath. The Sabbath has no part to play in any other covenant or with any other people, just with Israel and just under the Mosaic law. This is the symbol, just like the rainbow is the symbol of the Noahic law. Circumcision is the symbol of the Abrahamic law. The Sabbath was an indicator of the Mosaic law. So the Sabbath represents this entire Mosaic law code. That was the symbol that if they kept the Sabbath, they were uh, holding themselves to the Mosaic law. So it says that the land will make up for its Sabbaths. The Sabbaths regulated use of the land. It'll make up for the Sabbaths while it is made desolate without them. They, meanwhile, will be making amends for their iniquity because they rejected my ordinances and their soul abhorred my statutes. So because of their disobedience, they've been kicked out of the land, but they will be brought back. Yet in spite of this, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not reject them, nor will I so abhor them as to destroy them, breaking my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. Now, 90% of theologians, churches out there, are going to say that God is done with Israel, that he has turned his back on them because they turned his, their back on him, and that now he is concerned only with the church, that there is no future for Israel. God has put it in his own words that if he rejects them, that he has broken his covenant. God will not break his covenant. God has given an unconditional gift to Israel that he, they will receive, but they have conditional enjoyment of that. So I liken this to getting a car gifted to you on your 16th birthday. You are untested. You are uh, young and immature. It would be ridiculous and irresponsible to hand a 16-year-old a car without testing to make sure that they are capable of using it responsibly. There are laws set in place by the state in order to regulate that. You need a driver's license. If you get pulled over too many times, you get your driver's license taken away. Now you can still own that car. It's still yours, but it sits in the garage until you're capable of driving it properly. And that's the same thing that's happening with Israel. They have proven through many, many drunk driving arrests that they are not responsible with the gifts that God has given them. God has given them this gift of land, of seed, and of blessing. And they will, in the end, get to drive their car. Um, but at the moment, they're under house arrest. <clears throat> now, really quick, we're going to jump to the New Testament here so that we can uh, really drive home the fact that even right now, God has not rejected, nor will he ever reject his people. So this is during the church age. Paul is writing to the Romans, and he is explaining how it is that Israel has been, uh, has rejected their king. They have lost the immediate promise or the immediate offer of the kingdom. You remember Jesus Christ came in the gospels offering the kingdom to Israel and Israel rejected Christ. So did Christ reject them? No, but he rejected that generation. Israel has not been rejected, but each generation has the opportunity to uphold the law of Christ, to uphold the law of Moses. And this generation of Christ's time was specifically given the opportunity to install the king of God's choosing, and they rejected him. So there is 
dispersion and punishment for that, but Paul is going to make the argument that God is a God who remembers his covenants and he is faithful to his people. So although they have individually rejected him, they as a nation rejected him in the first century, there is coming a remnant of Israel that will accept him and will install him as their king and he will rule over them. So Paul writes, I say then God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be for I too am an Israelite a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, that he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? So this is looking back to the book of 1 Kings where, or second Kings, no, first Kings, where Elijah is crying out to God saying, Jezebel has killed all of the prophets. There are none left. There are no people faithful to you left in this nation. Uh, But the response to him was, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In the same way, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. But if it be by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Paul is saying here that in the same way, God kept a very quiet remnant of 7,000 people in the land of Israel. So in the day of Paul, in the first century of the church, there is a remnant not of the church but of Israel within the church. Those messianic believers who constitute the physical seed of Abraham. And those are still present today. They have not disappeared. Uh, Though we don't know who they are all the time, God knows who they are. Many do know that they are Jewish and uh, are part of that remnant. And they are a blessing not only to God, but to the church to have them as part of the body of Christ. But they, and not the Gentile portion of the church, will constitute the remnant. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? And that's speaking of the nation as a whole. May it never be, but by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, if their transgression is riches for the world, and their failure is riches for the Gentile, how much more will their fulfillment be? be. So when Israel is restored, how much more wonderful will that be for the church than when they first stumbled to recognize who he was and salvation through the church was opened up to the, to the Gentiles. And that's what we're looking at for the rest of this evening, is how under, uh, under the judgments of Israel, they were dispersed from their land. And in their rejection of Jesus Christ, his arms were opened up to the Gentile people to make them a special people for his name. How much more when they accept him will we all be blessed through that acceptance where he becomes the king of this earth, ruling from a throne physically on this earth. But 